0: Good morning again. That was better. I appreciate that. Because <laughs> uh, I've had a week this week. Maybe some of you had as well. You know, if I if I have to have one more marathon meeting about COVID-19, I may just, you know, jump out a first story window kind of thing. Um, but you know, you, you have those weeks sometimes, right, where it's like, I just want to check out. I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, Just let me sit down. Just let me check out. Just let me do something else. I don't mean what I'm doing right now, but, you know, just life. You're like, "I'm, I'm tired, and I don't want to do it anymore. Like, is there a pause button? Is there an eject button? Is there a, like, stop everything button? And there's not. And so what do we do on weeks like that? How do we not... How do we keep going? And I think this passage is a great reminder. Time's short. The end is near and the end is really, really good. But the end is also tragically, terrifyingly bad for the vast majority of humanity. And hopefully those two themes can encourage us. There's there's not enough time to quit. There's not enough time to check out. There's not enough time to Hit a pause button. Time is short. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be really amazing. And it's going to be really terrifying. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we look at uh, the return of Christ um, from those two sides. And so we've moved into chapter 4. uh, From chapter 4. Chapter 4 is the the movement towards the practical section. So um, holiness. Pursue it. You're doing it. Do it more and more. Love for each other you're doing it do it more and more and then this what we looked at last week we're going to face loss in a fallen world we're going to face really hard stuff but we're also going to face the loss of people we care about deeply and you can grieve and continue when that happens you can grieve with a hope-filled grief for those who are in Christ why two pillars pillar 1 Jesus's resurrection will be our resurrection, too. Pillar two, when Jesus comes back, he's going to reunite us with everybody we've lost that's in him. And so we can hope while we grieve. Well, now he's going to transition today to kind of the same heading, the return of Christ, but a very new focus. Last week, it was about comforting those who have lost. This week, it's about you better wake up, you better be alert, and you better be faithful. Because Jesus is coming back, and it has universe shaping consequences when he does. So First Thessalonians chapter five, verses one through eleven. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, There is peace and security. And build one another up. Just as you are doing. Let's pray. So Father. Let the day of our Lord Jesus weigh on us. Let the day of the Lord Jesus spur us and awaken us to a life of of total faithfulness. Let the day of the Lord Jesus that's coming Spur us to holiness and to good works. And Father, as we pr- face that day, let it encourage us that our hope is drawing near. Our redemption is drawing near. Our life is drawing near. Our joy is drawing near. Our abundance is drawing near. But let it also sober us up. Because those that we look around and see at school and at work, in our neighborhoods, that will be a day of fierce terrifying eternal darkness. And so let us live with that kind of sobriety, that kind of clear-eyed living. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the coming day of the Lord is what's being talked about in chapter 5. The coming day of the Lord will surprisingly shatter the world's sense of peace and security. The coming day of the Lord will surprisingly shatter the world's sense of Peace and security. This is one of those times where I wish I had any ability to sing whatsoever. But back in the day, one of the college bands we used to listen to all the time out of uh, a certain other college town that starts with an A and ends with a Thins. um, R.E.M. Anybody? A couple of you are there. And they had this song. It's the end of the world as we know it. Pardon the voice. And it was this very upbeat, light song talking about the world being on fire. Reporters are selling out and there's vitriol and humanity and just listing all of these events that show it's the end of the world and it just always had this refrain it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine. Anyone else? No nobody. Okay, sorry. Memory lane. We'll get off of it. But I thought that pictures the world we're living in so perfectly. They are hurtling towards the end of the world. They're seeing the world burn. They're seeing social unrest. They're seeing genocides. They're seeing war. They're seeing uh, death uh, tolls mounting daily. It's the end of the world. And they seem to feel awful fine about it. There's no reality that the end will come for them. There's no reality dawning on them that there is a bigger eternal reality that's going to break into this earth and shatter everything that they know and everything that they're trusting in. Everything's burning. And they feel fine. They feel completely fine about it. See, there's this mentality, I think, that's out there that fits into our text perfectly. And it's the mentality that if we... Erase God from our public consciousness and if we get enough really smart people to tell us there's no God and why there's no God And if we could take a poll and get a higher and higher percentage of people that say there's no God and none of this stuff is real And even if there were he would totally be on your side and everything would be fine Then we can erase him and believe that that's true And if we can just marginalize those that talk about all this stuff and like, you know, they're kind of backwoods and folksy and traditional. Really, that's just supposed to be something private. Don't pay much mind to it. Like somehow we can make it true. But it's not true. There is a God. And he does not play With the things we think he plays with. And he does not conform to our notions of him. He is who he is. And he will break into this world one day. With a washing flood of wrath and judgment. Whether we like it or not. Whether we agree with it or not. And whether we believe it or not. He will crash into this world. With this horrible eternal flood of wrath and judgment. That is described as fierce and terrifying. And the world feels fine. The world feels fine. Let's look at it as we jump into the, to the text here. And so he talks about, um, as he transitions, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you don't ha- need to have anything written to you. Um, Paul has used the, the, the combination now concerning for each of his major movements in this section. And so in chapter 4, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse th- 13, and here he uses that as a way to transition topics. And so we know that we're coming into a new topic that's going to have a lot of connections with the last one, which is the coming of Jesus. But we know we're moving on to a new topic, and he changes it from the coming of Jesus being the word that he's used throughout the book to the day of the Lord. And we'll get to that in a second of why that's like really big and really important and totally shows us we're in a new category. But he talks about now concerning, you don't need to have anything written to you. So this is exactly what he did in, in chapter 4. Like, when it comes to brotherhood of church, like, you don't need me to write this, this to you. You've been taught by God. You're doing this. And then he, in a different way here, says, "Now you don't need me to write to you about this. So why is he writing it then? Like, you don't need me to write this. I'll just write it anyways. I kind of ran out of things to say and just want to insert it. No. So what he's saying is, you don't need me to tell you information about the dates, facts, and figures of the end times. Right? And so clearly part of Paul's discussion when he was at Thessalonians, part of Discipleship 101 in the Thessalonian church was, this is what the end times looks like. These are the events that are going to happen. This is what is going to unfold. So they were aware of how the world is going to wrap up. Now, of course, we always have curiosities and questions, and we would like to know more, but the basics were in place, so Paul is not writing them to inform them about something new. He's writing them, much like he did last week, to connect what they knew to today. Right? It's really hard to think about, oh yeah, there's this coming day of the Lord that's going to wrap up all of human history. Why does that matter Monday morning when I don't want to wake up as the alarm goes off? And so what he's saying is, I'm not, I'm not writing to inform you more. I'm writing to connect what you know into the real world of how it affects today, how you should live as a Christian today. So you don't, need, you don't need me to write to you the information. I'm writing to you the implications. And then he says, for you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They know about the day of the Lord. They know the way it's coming. And he uses two analogies uh, in, in this section of the text. The first one being a thief in the night, right? A thief in the night, you don't know they're coming. It's a surprise. You're not prepared for them. They sneak in and they do their damage unknowingly by surprise. And so that's what he says. The day of the Lord is going to sneak in and catch the whole world in total surprise and and shock when it happens. So it's going to come and it's going to sneak up on an unaware world. And then the second analogy he uses is uh, labor pains in a pregnant woman. Now, he's not using that the way it's used in other places in the New Testament where it's like these are the signs and the preparations for the coming birth. He's instead using it this way. Just like when labor pains stop, the end result is inevitable. When the day of the Lord starts, all that goes with that is inevitable. Right. It is stopped. There will be no time to kind of catch up on your affairs. There will be no time to get it right. It will start and it will come to fruition. And it is totally inevitable at that moment. So it's going to sneak up on you and it is absolutely unavoidable. And then he says the day of the Lord. Now that is, if you've done any reading of the Old Testament, a massive, massive prophetic theme. Like It is probably hundreds of times in the Old Testament, certainly dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord, that day, the day, some derivative of that is listed out throughout the, especially the prophetic books and in, in throughout the Old Testament. And so it was this massive theme that had two sides to it. On one side, it would be God coming in wrath to judge his enemies, to judge rebellious mankind, to judge the enemies of his chosen people who are uh, plaguing them and and, and persecuting them and hunting them and, and destroying them. And he would come with avenging wrath for his own glory and for his people's to wipe out his enemies. Now look, I know this isn't fun stuff to talk about. It's just the reality. And so on one side it is terrifying darkness and judgment. But in the other side of the day of the Lord, it is the dawn of final deliverance for all of God's people. It is when he will break into history to fully and finally save and deliver them from all that plagues them on this earth and ushers them into the new one. The day of the Lord is a day of terrifying judgment, and the day of the Lord is a day of absolutely eternal rejoicing In deliverance, I want to read to you four passages from the Old Testament of the many. So, the first one clearly, it's going to be a judgment on the lost world. Like, I don't think any of us probably doubt that reality um, as as we've dove and diving, gotten into the Bible. Okay, Isaiah thirteen six through eleven. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another, and their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation. And to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. And the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. And lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. This is just one small description of what's coming. (laughs) Wail... Be dismayed, fierce anger, and all of the heaven's light will be shut off. Now, if you want to walk out there and share that in the quad on campus, they'll walk by you and, like, yeah, idiot. Like, oh, you're one of those people, right? Except for the sovereign God of the universe declared that it's true, whether it's dismissed or not. But then for those who are believers, look at what it says. Joel, or Zephaniah 3, 14 through 18. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 18. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil on that day. On that day it shall be said in Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. As loud as the end of times will be for the lost world, as they wail and cry out in hopeless terror, it will be equally loud for those who are facing their deliverance. And even Baptists will shout on that day with loud, praising exultation. And all of us will get loud all of a sudden, and we'll learn that we have a voice to loudly declare the praises of God. Okay, thank you. But look at what God does. This is kind of this was really astounding as I read it. So the Lord will be in their midst and he will save. God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will quiet you with his love. God will sing over you. Can you imagine what it is like For the perfect God of the universe to gather his people and he do the singing over you instead of you do the singing to him. These two completely opposite pictures. But you know what? There's a third group. And I hope you'll be very attentive to this group because I think it's the group that would most challenge us. It is the group of the religious. Oh, yeah, the day of the Lord, that's awesome. God, go get them. Like, get those evil sinners that make fun of us and wipe them out. God, take me home. This is going to be awesome. And this is what God says to the religious. This is what God says to the dabblers with him who kind of play in and out of relationship to him, who do all the good religious stuff, who do all the good religious singing, who do all the good religious sacrifices, who do all the good religious laws, but do not have a converted heart that is in love with their God, who is in relationship to their God. But they've got the religion down. And this is what he says in Amos chapter 5, 18 through 20. In Amos 5, 18, 18 through 24, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. It is not the the day of the Lord darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness in it. I hate and despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look on them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I won't listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you hear that? Like there's this whole group of people that think, man, we're good with God. Come on back, God, and make it right. And that group of good, religious, with a little bit of idolatry on the side, good dabblers who play with God and also play with their lives in this world, who... Probably are really good church members. God says that day will be darkness for you, and it won't be light at all. There will be a huge mass of those who have spent their lives in church who, when the day breaks upon them, will be horrified to learn. It's not a day but eternal darkness that they'll be entering into. and I just plead with you. Like, if you're trusting church, if you're trusting your works, if you're playing with God, I just plead with you, please. This day is coming. But I'm young. I got plenty of time. Now, this day's coming. But I'm doing a lot of good things, too. Now, the day's coming. But I'm just a teenager. I don't have to take it that seriously yet. And the day's coming like a thief in the night. And having been a church kid, having been in a campus ministry, having spent your life as a member of Fletcher Memorial Baptist Church, it still may be a day of darkness for you, not light. And I plead with you, let God's Spirit speak to you if that's you today. And so what about all of us? What about those who are maybe in that category or maybe those who have let sin grab a stronghold in their life, have let drift from God be part of their experience. What about them? What about us? Not them. What about us? Last verse, Joel 1, 13 through 15. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in and pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And so what is he saying to us? What is the prophet speaking to Israel and what is it also saying to us? It is a call for the people of God who have drifted. It is a call for the people of God who have let sin take the place or idols take the place of God in their life, who have let something pull them away from God. What is the call to the church and what is the call to the individual? Mourn and grieve, fast, gather to cry out to God for mercy. We call this repentance. That there is a God who is far more eager to hear your repentance and receive you back than we are to give our repentance and confession and run back. And so where will you be when the day of the Lord comes? How will it wash upon you? Are you lost and you need to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you? Because the wrath of God fell on him that you deserved and he died with it and for it and he rose again to offer you life and you have put your faith in Jesus on to save you, you've turned from your sin. Those who, have drifted, or those who have played with God and played with church and played with religion, that it would awaken your heart that that's not nearly enough to stand before him with. Are those who have drifted. Those who have drifted that are being called back to grief, mourning, repentance, and crying out to God, and he will restore. Are those who with eager expectation are going to wake up tomorrow knowing that at any moment Jesus may come back for us and my eternal joy will take over for my discouragement, my stress, my frustrations, my fits and starts of obedience, that it's going to come and it's going to be over. And then look as it continues. They say peace and safety or peace and security. While people are saying peace and security, sudden destruction will come. That word peace and security is thought to be possibly a slogan of the Roman Empire or people within the Roman Empire. Um, The Thessalonians are living dead in the middle of something called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was a 200-year period where the whole empire and all of its moving parts were at peace with each other. Now, it was a brutal peace. It was a forced peace, but they were at peace with each other, and there wasn't wars and factions and constant unrest within the nation. And so when the Thessalonians stand up in the middle of the squares of Rome and say, The day of the Lord is coming with fierce anger and wrath, repent because it's at hand. What are you talking about? We're at peace. What are you talking about? The economy's really humming. What are you talking about? Things are great. And it seemed like this idle, distant, ridiculous tale. And if you walk to Georgia Southern's campus or downtown Main Street, not that I'm. Recommending it, and you were to stand out and say, The day of the Lord is coming with fierce wrath, and the sun is going to get turned off with all of its light. Come on now. The economy is recovering. Come on now. Everything's great. Come on. You, that's an idle tale. We're at peace. Everything's fine. We're going to fix these few little issues, and we're going to move on just like we always have. Peace and security, peace and security. Everything's fine until it's not. And when it comes, it will come so suddenly, there will not be a time to settle accounts. There will not be a time to say, oh, now, Lord, please. There will not be a time to go handle unfinished business in your life. Peace and safety, and the same thing as individuals. We walk around in the world, and everything's fine. The lost people around you just walk around and everything's fine. And when you talk to them about a need of salvation and you talk to them about sin and you talk to them about coming judgment, yeah, whatever. And peace and security, everything's fine. I think I'll share this. I was reading an article this week. Kind of unrelated to the topic. Not this topic, but there's a guy holding up a sign at a pride parade. And it said... HIV positive, queer, proud. And it broke my heart. Because you know what that sign really says? Death sentence. I live in opposition to God, and I'm proud of it. And when this virus takes his life, he will face this God that is not the one he wanted him to be. And his pride will be turned into eternal judgment. And you're like, oh, but that's out there. That's those people. No, that's every single human being has a little cardboard sign death sentence, whatever it happens to be for you or me. Life in opposition to God. And we're proud of it. And the end of that life is destruction. And it's sudden and it's inescapable. That was just a little more brazen than we'd care to make our sign. Your neighbors would care to make their signs. Your coworkers would care to make their signs. Peace and security, I'm fine. There's no God anyways, and if there happens to be a God and I was mistaken, surely he's OK with me, because I'm living in my truth and I'm living in my identity, and I'm living authentically me. So he must be OK with it if he even exists at all. Peace and safety. Sudden destruction like pains of labor, and they will not escape. Let's move to the second point. All right, that's the bad news. Good news coming. So, um, the day of the Lord summons us to wide-eyed embracing of our new nature. The day of the Lord summons us to wide-eyed embracing of our new nature. Um, You know, I'll have pretty large stretches, seasons in my life where I feel like I'm kind of sleepwalking through it. Do you have that? Like, okay, alarm goes off, get the kids ready, grab a cup of coffee, you know, get ready for it, go to work, work, go to whatever activities, hobbies, meetings have to happen, go to bed, wake up, do it again. And just kind of drift through life and just kind of routine through life and just kind of grind through life and same routine, same day, or same routine, new day, same routine, new day, same routine, new day. And I think we do that with our spiritual lives too, don't we? We kind of just sleepwalk through the fact that there is an eternal reality. We kind of just sleepwalk through uh, the fact that there is a God who is in relationship to us through his son Jesus. We kind of just sleepwalk through our quiet times. And the day of the Lord, according to Paul, is meant to be this blazing alarm that you can't snooze. Saying, wake up to these realities. Wake up to God. Wake up to Uh, The eternal realities wake up to the spiritual world that is real and operating wake up And so This few verses is a call to wake up look at it But you are not in darkness brothers for the day for that day to surprise you like a thief For you are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness and so running throughout this text is the clear notion that we've kind of hit on is that there are two camps for humanity and those two camps have nothing to do with our identities they have nothing to our our or, or, um, self-defined identities they have nothing to do with our sexual preferences they have nothing to do with our race or ethnicity they have nothing to do with what the world says divides humanity up you know what they have to do with Your relationship to Jesus Christ, if you have one, you are originated in the day and you are part of the day. And if you don't have one, no matter how good you are to our eyes or how horribly wanton you are according to our eyes, you are in that camp. There is those of the light and those of the dark and there's no dabblers. There's no in between. And so he defines our identity for us. You are children of light. You are children of the day, right? And so that means you find your origin in. And that's the exact words that Paul uses for the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the liturgy God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The gospel is God invading our dark lostness to rebirth us into his light into the kingdom of the son of his love into his Marvelous light, right? That's what he's doing Or I mean, that's what the gospel does and it makes us light Now light in the in the scriptures has two main um, ideas attached to it. The first one being knowledge understanding revelation that we get it and we see it. And secondly, it is a moral quality of purity. So you're children of light because this new identity where the gospel makes you light and this relationship to God your father, the father of light, the God who is light, this new relationship gives you a new identity. And that new identity is one that knows God, sees him, understands him, and That reflects him. That has a purity of life attached to knowing him. That's you. And then everyone else is darkness and night. Which is the opposite. They do not know God willfully. They have suppressed the truth willfully. And they live in sin and rebellion to him willfully. So you've got two different groups. How should those groups live? He starts it here. He'll finish it in the next point. So then, since we are light, let us not sleep, but let us keep awake and be sober. Right? So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So you can live your life asleep, sleepwalking, blind to the reality of God, Blind to eternal realities, blind to spiritual realities, blind to the day of the Lord, asleep. And if you live blind, you will also live, drunk is the word he's using for a lifestyle of silliness, wastedness, and, and sin. Right? And so he's using imagery here. And the imagery of drunkenness is people that act stupid, people that act irresponsible, and people that act morally bankrupt. Right? not you, but your friends, have gotten really drunk at a party. And you look at how silly they act. And you look at how many things and decisions that opened them up to that when they were sober would not have made with guys and girls they would not have made it with. And that's why you see the picture of that. And then there's those of the day who are awake. They see and know God and live in light of his reality And they're sober. There's a self-controlled Holy Spirit quality, right? Self-controlled life lived under God with a conscious reality of God. That's what he means by sober. And so as we look at this, we have this new nature, this new identity, this new relationship to God that summons you and I to let the alarm bell of the return of Christ wake us up, to let the alarm bell of our genuine relationship to God as light wake us up, to then live the life actively and consciously for his purposes, actively and consciously related to him, actively and consciously faithfully facing each each day, abiding and following and obeying him. So let's quit sleepwalking. Let's quit sleepwalking. And men, I would especially challenge us. You are not designed to live a childish, immature life you are not designed to live with as little responsibility as you can possibly take on. You are not designed to be passive while the world, while your family, while your friends pass you by. But you're too busy in your video games or whatever else to pay any attention. You're designed to be awake. That is, you're saved to be awake. You're saved To actively live in relationship to God. You are saved to actively invest in the people that are around you. And you are saved to actively invest the life of God in your family. You're not called to watch as other people do it. And so men, let's wake up. Men and women and everyone else, let's wake up. There's a life of faithfulness and alertness that God has put before us. And it's so much easier to kind of half sleep through it so much easier to put it on autopilot, but don't. We're of the day. Don't. The day is coming. Don't. Last step as we um, go here. The, the coming day of the Lord motivates us to living in alert faithfulness to Jesus. The coming day of the Lord motivates us to living in alert faithfulness to Jesus. Anybody been on a mission trip? A couple of us? You should go on one. Just. All right, so here's how mission trips work. You turn off your car at the airport, you walk into the airport, and the mission trip switch flips on. Switch flips on. And all of a sudden you're in spirit mode. And it's like, who's sitting by me on the plane? It's not an accident. Who picked me up in the cab in this third world country? It's not an accident. Who did I pass on the street? It's not an accident. How do I intentionally start conversations with people to see what God's up to in their life? It's not an accident. Nothing's an accident. Oh man, it starts to end and you're like, I'm going back home and nothing's an accident anymore. And I can't wait to view my life and my friends and my relationships this way. And then you get in your car and leave the airport. And the mission trip mode switches off. And it's back to normal. The day of the Lord is meant to flip on the mission trip switch in our hearts and in our eyes permanently. So that we we mow our lawn thinking, God... Who do you want me to connect to? And what? why is this guy living next to me? It's not an accident. Why is this guy or this lady sitting next to me in my office? It's not an accident. Why are these people in my class um, project group? It's not an accident. Why Why is this waitress or waiter serving me? It's not an accident. And I, I want to hear from you, God. What are you up to? And I want to hear from them. What are you up to? And God, how do you want to, to connect to their lives? And then my believing friends, how do you want to connect into their lives? What word of encouragement or growth do you want me to speak into their lives? God, what's up? And so that you live with this constantly alert mentality, this mission trip lifestyle. And so look at it as he continues in verse 7. It's all about the practical implications of your new identity and the coming day of the Lord. So let us, or or, or for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And so again, these two groups. At night is generally the time for rest and for leisure, but it's also generally the time where parties and behaviors that we don't want other people to see take place. Now, one of the great problems or one of the great evidences of our decline as a society is those things that used to happen at night hidden have become very public and very flaunted and there's parades attached to them but the the, the point is generally those are kind of nighttime behaviors that are separated out where other people don't see and know about them That's what darkness does but that's not you You're light You're day and since you are light And since you were a day, what did it say? Be sober. Be self-controlled and actively live with a conscious connection to God. Right? That there's this self-controlled, responsible, godly living that flows out of your life, out of your alertness, out of your abiding in Jesus, that doesn't happen with those who are sleepwalking. And then he gives the imagery of armor. Now, the imagery of armor isn't meant, what is this piece and what is that piece? Right? It's not meant to be talked about necessarily that way. Instead, what it is, is you look at a Roman soldier with armor on, and it's not like, why do you have a breastplate and what's the helmet about? It's like, these are essential equipment for people who are going into battle. You've got to have these things to protect you in a fight. Which means these virtues are the essential armor of the Christian who are going into battle. And so there's an alertness that if you live awake in an asleep world, if you live as light in a dark world, it will necessarily bring you into conflict, into battle. And so just as helmets and breastplates are essential for physical battle, faith, hope, and love are essential for spiritual warfare. But notice this, what begins the Christian life in virtues, chapter 1, verse 3, faith, hope, love. It's the same thing that gives perseverance and endurance in the face of conflict. Faith, hope, love. Right? Faith, an active relying, an active obeying, an active following, and an act, active walking of life with God. Love. That there is this genuine valuing and giving of myself to other people, God's people. And hope that there's this rock solid confidence in who God is. And a rock solid confidence in what he has said. And a rock solid confidence in what he has promised that allows me to press on. So sober living looks like faith. Sober living looks like active love and serving and caring for other people. Sober living looks like a strong hope when things pull at my hope and my encouragement. And then he goes into you. God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a fun topic. It's not a topic we should celebrate. Yeah. It's not a topic that we should gleefully talk about. But all of humanity is under a partial experience of the wrath of God where he increasingly turns them over to get what they want, to desire what they want, and live how they want. And the more that goes, the more destructive it is. But it is just the smallest down payment of what the eternal destiny of those apart from Jesus will experience. They are destined for wrath. How do you describe Life without God for eternity. It's the experience of wrath. And that should sober you up pretty quick. That should sober me up pretty quick. That should add, yes, a little bit of celebration to our songs of God who's delivered us. But it should also add a little bit of weight to our desire to live out a faithful Christian life. But that's not us. We have not been destined for wrath, but we are going to obtain the salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us, who died, right? and so we have been saved by jesus in the past right and we we're delivered from the penalty of sin we were set apart that there'd be no condemnation for us we are actively living today in god's salvation now where increasingly the power of sin is diminished in our life and one day the day it's talking about we will walk into our final salvation and that final salvation will be the total elimination of sin's presence in our life where all the fullness of god's promises fall down into our lives and we experience the new heavens, the new earth, and the eternity that's with him. And we have not been destined for wrath. We've been destined for that, right? For the salvation. Now look at this. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, now he switches imagery on us, which is unfair, right? But he switches. And now he's not talking about lost and saved anymore. He's talking about those who are alive and those who are dead. Christians who are awake, that is they're living, and Christians who have passed away who are, who are asleep. And notice there's no difference. He died for us so that whether we're alive or whether we're dead, we live with him. We abide with him. There's a living, vital connection and union between us and him. What do we do with that? What are the implica- what's the implication of that? Look at the last verse. Don't do this alone. Don't wait alone. Don't try to make it to the end alone. Don't try to handle the Christian life alone. Encourage one another. That's Paul's favorite word throughout these two chapters. Encourage. Give strength to one another in the face of this world out there. Give strength to one another as this day is approaching, like Hebrews tells us. Exhort one another so much the more as the day is approaching. And then build one another up. Strengthen each other. You won't make it. You won't thrive alone. And then build each other up. Grow each other. And so why do we like, press you into you should be part of a group at Fletcher? Because you can't do this alone. Or a campus minister. You can't do this alone. Why do we drumbeat microgroups until you're sick of hearing the word? Because you're not meant to do this alone. You won't be able to find the strength alone, and you won't be able to make it on your own. And fullness of growth won't come if you do this life by yourself. Building each other up, growing and strengthening each other requires the each other part. And so how do we respond? The day of the Lord is coming. We're a light. We want to live alert. But, man, I fall asleep too easy. We want to live alert. I forget these realities too easy. We want to live sober and walk righteously with God. But, man, I fall into sin so easily walk into each other's life to give strength and walk into each other's life to give growth. Because you can't do it alone. And so it motivates us to alert and faithful living with Jesus. There's a couple of practical things as we close. The final day is coming. Live like it. It doesn't give me any particular joy to talk about wrath it doesn't give me any particular joy to know that the sun's light's going to turn off and all the stars and the moon are going to turn off and there will be a darkness over humanity as the fierceness of God's anger falls on them as a beginning to an eternal life under God's wrath. doesn't give me any excitement to say that other than that I'm thankful for God's deliverance of me and undeserving one out of it. But if that day is really coming... How should you live? If that's not just a fairy tale, while peace and security is the real thing, how should we live? How should we live? It's coming, and so are you ready? Or are you kind of dabbling with the God thing and doing the church thing and taking care of religious stuff? Has something grabbed a hold of your life that's pulled you off of Jesus? Some idolatry, some, sin of, some stronghold of sin or some just natural drift. If something pulled you off of Jesus, the end is coming. There's just not the time to waste. Walking around in the desert and the wilderness apart from God, there's just not the time to waste. Would you, let a, would you let a reminder like this sober you up and wake you up? Would you let it be that annoying alarm on your phone across the room because you know you'd hit snooze if it were next to you? The day of the Lord's coming. Wake up and live like it. View your relationships, that mission trip lifestyle, because it's coming. Second, wake up and sober up. Let's be done with the halfway Christianity that we're so famous for. Chris is so famous for. Let's be done with the kind of drifting around with God where he's kind of important, at least those few hours a week when we gather be done with that. Let's be done with this drifting Christianity, this, this kind of God doesn't care how I live and what I do Christianity, this I don't really take a lot of attention to my own holiness kind of Christianity. I don't care that much about investing in others kind of Christianity. Wake up. Sober up. If this message does nothing else, if, a, if, if this day does nothing else, let it sober you up. There's a really big reality out there that's not at all frivolous. Invest outward. You're only going to thrive if, you, if you're if you together. You'll grow a little on your own, but you'll only grow into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ together. And so let's invest ourselves outward. It's so easy to retreat to me, and I'll just do my thing with God. It's so easy to retreat to... Well, you know, I'll just do my family and we'll just do that. No. Do not let the boundaries of God's investment from your life to others stop. But let it push all the ways outward, always to new people, always to new investments. God has work for you to do while it's day. And the night's going to come. And you'll have plenty of time to rest then because there will be no more labor left for you to do. And it will be eternally too late for everyone Or it will be eternally the joy of those who get to experience it. And then lastly, take the challenges. Why are we pressing this reignite button? Because we think it's going to be one of those things that helps wake you up and helps wake me up. Hopefully it has the past few weeks. We'd love to hear about it if it has. But that challenge, uh, 150 psalms in 60 days. Hadn't started yet, that's fine. Start today and let the next 60 days be your 60 days. If it takes you 75 days, guess what? I don't care. Finish it in 75 days, right? Praying every day for each other at 310. Having one or two or three family devotions a week or devotions with your friends a week. Right? That's why. Like, togetherness is why. And then you have one more week. Who's it going to be? Who have you prayed for? Who have you served? And who is it time to open up your mouth with the truths of Jesus and the realities of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus? The great and awesome day of the Lord is coming, and it is terrifying. I don't think my words can nearly capture how utterly fierce and terrifying it is. The day of the Lord is coming, and it is beautiful, and it is precious, and eternal joy will dawn on that day. If that's the case, how should we then live? Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Wake us up. Wake me up. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would break into each of our experience with a, with a movement of repentance and revival, that you break into each of our experience, God, that we might wake up to the realities of the people around us, that we might wake up to the needs, the hurts, the, the slow growth or the growth of the people around us, that we might wake up to, the, to what's going on in the world around us. And whether it is foolish and dismissed by the world, or whether it is embraced to the eternal day by the world, God, that we would be people who declare there is not peace and safety. It's not okay. You won't be fine. God, give us a burden to declare to ourselves, to each other, and to a world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and.